let's uh, listen to the word of God uh, from uh, Paul's letter to the church at uh, Colossae. Uh, you can follow along, Colossians uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. You learned this from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace, peace, faith, hope, love, patience, forgiveness, rescue, words of rescue. Uh, they're words that seem to be quite at odds with our world and especially perhaps our world this week. We prayed a little while ago um, for uh, or in response to um, the deaths that we have heard about over the past few weeks. The police officers in Dallas and Philander Castile and Alton Sterling and here in our own hometown, Antoine Schumpert. And I know we all have different takes on those events, but I think we would all agree that the fact that such things happen is a sign that the world is not the way that it ought to be. It's a sign of a world in need of God's rescue, of a people in need of God's rescue. And as I read through this passage today, what jumps out to me are these words of rescue, these words that put us at odds with the world around us, words that take us out of the experience that we have in this world and put us on different footings put us into a different kingdom, that transfer us into the kingdom of God, as Paul says. And I read this, the, the first thing that jumps out to me, and this is a, this is a phrase that is, is well-worn in Christian circles because Paul begins so many of his letters this way. I tend to sign off my own emails in, in this way. And the first words that jump out to me are grace and peace. Grace to you and peace, Paul says. 
And it seems like, okay, that's just a nice way to begin the letter. But if you dig a little deeper into those words, you find out something very interesting. What Paul has done here is he has combined um, a standard or a twist on a standard Greek greeting with a twist on the standard Hebrew greeting. The word grace is connected to the, to the uh, Greek word for greetings. And, and so Paul begins with grace to you. Uh, the kind of, of beginning of a letter that someone writing in Greek as Paul is might be used to. But then he offers something else. Grace to you and peace. That's the way someone who is Jewish, as Paul is Jewish, might have begun a letter with the Hebrew word for that is shalom. It's the kind of peace that's wholeness, where everything is as it should be. Grace to you and peace. Grace because we are recipients of something that is more than ourselves. We are the recipients of God's grace, a grace that leads us into peace, to completion, to wholeness, to things being as they ought to be. Grace to you and peace, Paul says, from God our Father. The grace and the peace that we have is not something we have earned for ourselves. We haven't figured out how to establish grace and peace, and we've just done all the things we have to do, and now we've achieved it. We haven't built up grace. We haven't engineered grace. We are the recipients of grace and peace. These are things that are given to us from God. And the sign of that in the early Christian community, or one of the signs of that in the early Christian community, was that you had people from these disparate backgrounds together worshiping God in one place. You had those who had been Gentiles, those who spoke Greek, those who were Hebrews who came together to be one church, to be one people, to claim the name of Christ together. So the very life of the Christian community was a sign that God had brought people from all over the world into one place. He brought Jew and Gentile together, that grace and peace had met each other in the body of Christ. And when the world looked at that, it was very strange. Now, Jews were an exclusive group. They expected certain practices if one were to convert to become a Jew, which is a fairly, fairly rare thing. And we talked all about that in our series in Galatians. And on the, on the Roman side, on the Gentile side, the Greek side, uh, the Roman Empire, and in the East, the, the Roman Empire tended to speak Greek. They, they would go and they would absorb other cultures. They'd take them in, but they expected loyalty to the Roman state. Ultimately, they expected conformity. But in the church, it was different. There, those who had been Jews, those who were Gentiles, could be the church together in one place. And so it was a sign to the world that God was doing something new. That God was making a new people where none had existed before. A people who were recipients of God's love and lived that out in their life together. As we think about what the church was like in those early days, not that it was perfect. I mean, Paul, Paul has plenty to say, as we, saw, as we saw in the rather unhappy letter to the Galatians when we studied that in our, in our series before. Paul has pr plenty of criticisms for the church, plenty to correct along the way, but there was something new in what God was doing. And it should be a reminder for us of the kind of task that we have before us. We are supposed to be a people that embody what it looks like for grace and peace to break out in our midst. 
And what happened with the proclamation of the gospel through Paul is that the gospel came to be communicated through these different communities. Paul took on Gentile language so that he might express the truth of Christ to Gentiles. He used Jewish language to express the truth of Christ to the world, beginning with the people of Israel and spreading out all over the world. And so in one church, you could have people who were culturally distinct, who culturally were Jews, who culturally were Gentiles, but together they were the body of Christ. And in, a, in our world, where there are, in our communities, in our nation, where there are so many divisions, this should be a sign to us of the kind of work that God is calling us to do. We as a church are people who are recipients of grace and peace. And that should give us the confidence to be able to listen to our brothers and sisters from different communities, from different cultures, from different sets of life experience, and bring them into conversation with us and bring them into conversation with each other. We as the church, I mean, we have a lot of work to do in this regard, all right? We should be the kind of place where we can listen to the experiences of black people um, and hear those out and be confident in who we are in Christ so that we can, we can hear what other people have experienced in their lives. Be folks, because we're confident in the grace and peace of Jesus, where we can hear what somebody else has experienced in their life and make a space, a place available to do that and not jump instantly to our, our talking points. We should be the kind of place where somebody who is a police officer or in the military can come and share their experiences with us and have a place where they can be listened to. Um, my experience with folks in the military and folks in law enforcement, my brothers in law enforcement, is that oftentimes they, they bear burdens that many of us never have to imagine. Um, the burden of not only knowing that they may uh, be called upon to sacrifice their lives, but the burden of uh, potentially having to, to kill someone. And that comes with an immense, uh, an immense burden on them. We need to be the kind of place who can listen to someone share their experience of having to process that and give them a place where they can have someone safely to share that with. And that might take place in a Bible study. That might take place in a one-on-one conversation. But we, as the people of God, need to be those who know the grace and peace of Christ so that we can share the grace and peace of Christ with someone who knows that kind of burden. And that goes, too, for any number of things that we can name in our society. Uh, those who are victims of crime, those who feel marginalized and excluded for other reasons, we, the church, should be the people who can listen to people, share those experiences, and meet them with the confidence of a God given to us by a God who gives us grace and peace, who can meet the heaviness, the burdens of our community, the burdens of our world with the gift that we have known in Christ. Now, that's not easy work. It takes a lot of creativity. There's not like one program you can just deploy and then you can do all of those things. It takes the Spirit speaking to us individually. It takes the Spirit of God speaking to us as a church for us to be able to be that kind of community.
Now we in our nation these days aren't terribly good at listening. We jump to our talking points. We jump to whatever we get from our, our media silos where we only listen to people who, who already agree with us. And we want to start giving answers. And we as Christians, we love to theologize, and I, I love to do that too. We love to you know, hear this stuff and then start to say, well, this and this and this, and we want to make our theological points. And there's, there's a time for us to speak those truths. But the thing about the grace and peace that we have received from Christ to give us rescue, to give us new life in Christ, is that we can be sure where we stand with God. And because we can be sure where we stand with God, we can sit down with other people that we might not agree with. Because of the grace and truth and peace that's been given to us by Jesus. And church, if we can't do that, who will? If we, the church, can't do that because of our confidence in Christ, who possibly can? It is for us. It's a gift of God that God has called us to to be able to be confident in the grace and peace of Christ that has bring, brought us rescue in Jesus so that we can be the ones who listen. We can be the ones who speak the grace and peace of Christ. Now, it's not to say that the only things that we have to do are passive. Because Paul speaks some other words of rescue here. It's because we've received the peace and, and grace of Christ that we then, Paul says, can bear fruit. And he talks about this again and again and again in this passage, um, starting with uh, the end of verse 5. You've heard of this hope before you in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. We've received the gospel, we've heard the good news of Christ, and that gospel bears fruit in our lives. We begin to be transformed by the gospel that Paul says is transforming the whole world world or has the power to transform the whole world and then down uh, just a bit a little bit later in verse 10 um, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. We are called to bear fruit. The grace, the peace that we have received then does a new work in our lives. It changes something about who we are. It begins to make us different. And this, this, this phrase, bearing fruit, a lot of times when we hear that, we, we think it just means sort of productivity, all right? We're supposed to do good things. And it is about productivity, but it's not just about the things that we do. The phrase bearing fruit, I think Paul wants us to hear echoes of creation. When God made human beings and he set them in the garden, what's the first command that he gives them? Be fruitful and multiply. And throughout the whole history of Israel, again and again, we encounter these images of Israel as a vine that bears fruit for God. The idea of that, the idea that Paul has with the phrase bearing fruit, 
is that we are participants in God's new creation. We live in a world where creation has gone awry, but God calls us to bear fruit and participate in the kind of creative activity that God began in the world and gave to Adam and Eve and has given his people to participate in. When we bear fruit, it's not just that we have done good things for God, it's that we have participated in the kind of work that God has been doing among us from the very beginning. God creates. He creates the world. And he calls us to participate in that creation, to respond to God's creation by bearing fruit. And a world, and then in a world where creation seems to have gone awry, the call for us to bear fruit is a call for us to participate in the promise that God gives us, that God will make all things new. That the creation that God began, God will bring to completion. That God will rescue. That God will make a new heavens and a new earth, as he promises in Revelation. And that for us to properly respond to that is a matter of bearing fruit. It's a matter of us being a part of a different kind of order than we experience in the world, to be a part of the new creation order that God has brought to us. And the, and the way that we do that, Paul gives us in, back here in verses 4 and 5. And these are, these are familiar terms that you'll know from 1 Corinthians 13, but notice where they are here. For we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. To bear fruit for God is to be a people of faith and hope and love in a world where we don't always experience faith and hope and love. To be transformed into a new creation, to be an agent of that new creation, to bear fruit for the new creation is to live in faith and hope and love as we are called by God. These are words, again, of rescue. The kind of rescue that God is bringing to the world and bringing signs of in the kind of new life that we should have together as a church. The life that's characterized by faith and hope and love. Living out the gospel in our life together. And this new creation work, the work of bearing fruit, and points us to what Paul talks about at the end of this passage, beginning in verse 13. Paul says, He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, sometimes you may have heard folks say that, you know, as a Christian, you have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. And that's, that can be a good way to think about it. But I think what Paul has in mind here is a little something different. Paul writes to the church at the beginning of the letter, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. And right there from the beginning in verse 2 in this, in this letter, um, we have a sign that there's something different about these people. Yes, they're in this city. They're in Colossae. But they are also in Christ. They're fully there where they live, but they are also fully in Christ. And then when, he, when we get to the end of this passage, even though he's writing a letter to this community that he, that he has heard about, that he knows, 
that are very much living in, you know, where they are. Paul says that they have been rescued out of darkness and transferred into a new kingdom. And so what Paul is saying here is that not do you have sort of one foot in Colossae and one foot in heaven. You very much have both feet where you are in this community where the church that he's writing to is living. But then at the same time, they are squarely with both feet in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God has come to this new place in ways that can't be fully expressed or understood at the time. So that the Christians who live there, though they may be in Colossae, are in Christ and in this new kingdom. And now mind you, Paul is writing this letter to the church from prison. Okay? He very much knows the, real, the harsh realities of life on earth. He is experiencing them as he writes this joy-filled letter. But because he knows that he can be at the same time in prison and in Christ, in prison and in the kingdom of God, the folks who live in the place that he's writing to in Colossae can be in their town and in the kingdom of God at the same time. And what's true for them is true for us as well. We can be in Tupelo, but in the kingdom of God. We can be in America, but in the kingdom of God. The difference is that we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, out of darkness, and into the light. We know that we have a loyalty, we have an allegiance, we have a connection to something that is beyond what we can immediately see. And in a world that is in pain, in a world in need of the rescue of God, we know that we have been rescued, that we are participants in something very different from what we see going on around us. We are agents of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom. That though we may be here, that we may be here through us, the kingdom, and through Christ with us, the kingdom is present with us wherever we are. I think it's important for us to note that this kind of work, the work of bearing fruit, the work of being in the kingdom of God, happens through quite ordinary people. And we think of Paul writing this letter as this great you know, theologian and apostle, and you kind of, we kind of sometimes hold Paul up here, like, oh, you know, Paul. But he's you know, another member of the Christian community, he's rescued from his sins in the same way that we are. He writes along with all these co-workers that he's going to mention in this book. He writes along with Timothy, and we get the first mention of an, another person here, a just person living their life as a Christian. He mentions Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. And then a little bit later in the gospel, he's going to bring, or, or in, the, in this letter, he's going to bring up all of these other ordinary folks. Onesimus, who was the slave of Philemon, just an ordinary person, who carries this letter back to the church in Colossae. Tychius, he mentions, Aristarchus, Justus, Mark, and Luke, and Demas, and Archippus, and, and Nympha, folks who, have, who are either in Colossae or are in one of the neighboring communities or are sending greetings there, who have this connection to this place. And what this is for us is a sign that the rescue of God, the grace and peace of God, 
the, the, the work of bearing fruit, the presence of the kingdom happens through ordinary Christians. This community that Paul writes to had everyday folks living their lives, raising their families, going to their jobs, trying to survive, trying to make a good life together. Ordinary people in this place who are recipients of new life in Christ and who are assigned to the world that God is doing something different. God is bringing Jew and Gentile, people from different experiences together in one place as the body of Christ. That God is bearing fruit through them so that the new creation work of God begins to crop up in this little community, just like it may in ours. So that through these people with names and lives and faces and experiences like ours can have both feet squarely where they live in Colossae, can at the same time have life in Christ, can be part of the kingdom, can be fully in the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God begins to erupt, to take off, to have new life in this place. Brothers and sisters, this is true for the church 2,000 years ago in this place that we probably have never, most of us at least, have never been to. And it's true for us here as well. That we can be rescued from the kind of world that we live in and experience grace and peace, experience the fruit-bearing work of the kingdom of God. And it's my prayer for all of us that that is exactly what we have here. I invite you this morning to think about how God may be calling you. To think about the words of grace and peace that perhaps you need in your life. To think about the kind of fruit that God has called you to bear in whatever walk of life you may have. To ask what it means for you to be rescued out of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's light. And so as the, as the band comes back up and plays, um, I invite you to, to pray through that. We have uh, the altars over here all, all spaced around us. We can encircle this place with prayer. We can light candles and as a sign of God's light with us. If you want to place a prayer in the wall over there, knowing that God knows it and sees it. If you want to be reminded of your baptism by coming to the font, remembering the new life that Christ has offered you, I invite you to do that as we all lift up our prayers to God. Amen. Amen.